Most of us have heard of the Tower of Babel and the nation of Babylon. Less probably have read the book of Revelation and its prophetic judgments about Babylon the Great. But even fewer are probably aware of what Babylon really is. Hey, this is Nate Dancer with Purity for Life. We're back with the second episode in our new series, Babylon, the Seed of Satan's Power. Our goal in this series is to guide you through a deeper look at this subject, to show you that there is an ancient evil in the world that has been relentlessly working in history to incite mankind into a united rebellion against God. And we want to show you that Babylon is a clear and present danger today to believers because behind what you can see and sense in this world is a spirit that is working to bring you into a mindset of hatred for God. We want you to see how it works, where you're vulnerable, and what you can do to effectively resist it. Thanks for joining us on Purity for Life. In the next few shows, we're going to look at the origins of Babylon, but before we get there, we need to look at a time when mankind was almost universally bound up in spiritual darkness and wickedness, and we need to understand what it was about that period that was so offensive to God, and maybe even to see part of how things got that way. Why? so that we can guard ourselves from going down the same path. In this series of videos, we're taking a look at how an ancient evil has been working relentlessly throughout human history to bring mankind into outright rebellion to God's authority. Beginning in the Garden of Eden, this spirit would eventually foment a large-scale rebellion in the city of Babel. However, the seeds of this first great insurrection are actually found in the days of Noah, the antediluvian period before the flood. This was a time of unprecedented evil on earth. One thing is certain, it was a time when Satan was having his way in the world of mankind. One contributing factor that possibly affected the level of wickedness of that period was simply how long people lived. Sin is a spiritual disease that spreads easily. To be able to greedily pursue one's sinful inclinations over hundreds of years would allow a person to become thoroughly evil. It doesn't take much to understand why the people of the antediluvian period had gone so far in their evil ways. Genesis 6 tells us that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. The word great in the Hebrew is usually used in the sense that something had been multiplied so many times that it could be said to be enormous. Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, would offer four underlying reasons of why wickedness became so great in this godless race of people. First, we're told that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. This means that the very core of their being, the place where they formed desires and made decisions, the place where intentions were conceived and plans were implemented, was continually evil. In other words, when the Lord peered into the inward lives of mankind, he saw that all the people wanted to ponder, meditate on, and think about was how they could satisfy their lust for their particular pet sin. From the embryo of their desires all the way through to the fulfillment was incurably poisoned with satanic evil. Not a moment was allowed for deliberation. Every single thought was wholly evil from beginning to end. Nowhere else in the Bible do we find this idea that the intention underlying every single thought that people entertained was always, always evil. This was indeed a uniquely dark period of man's history. 
Second, we're also told that the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. The Hebrew word for corrupt is actually used in the sense of destroying something. In fact, in the same chapter, the Lord said he would destroy all flesh. The word destroy there is the same term used here to describe corrupt. And when you think about it, to corrupt someone is to destroy them. This same twofold meaning is also carried forth into the New Testament with the word apolumai, which also means to corrupt and destroy. It's from this term that we get Apollyon, destroyer, which is another name for Satan, the one who corrupts and destroys souls. In the antediluvian period, the devil had such complete control over mankind that the world became utterly defiled and polluted by sin. Even the godly line of Seth that had produced such notables as Enoch had become utterly corrupt. Third, we're told that the earth was filled with violence. The word for violence used here is describing a lawlessness that gets so out of control that hatred fills the hearts of the people to the point of intense violence breaking out everywhere. Violence is selfishness that has taken hold of a person's heart to the point that he willingly hurts other people to have his way. Violent people harm others to take what belongs to them. Violent people hurt others because in their immense pride, they love to raise themselves up at the expense of others. Violent people inflict pain on others simply because they enjoy seeing others suffer. When one considers some of the sadistic murderers of our time, one can only imagine what was occurring on earth during this awful period of man's history. The last example of wickedness Moses offered relates to something unthinkable. We're told that demonic spirits began having sexual relations with women. I can't take the time here to explain all the reasons I believe this is what happened. I will just say that the phrase sons of God mentioned here in Genesis 6 is always used in the Old Testament to describe angelic beings, good or evil. Jewish writers and early church leaders both believed that this passage was describing evil spirits having sex with utterly corrupted women. In the book of Jude, we're told that there are certain demonic spirits that have been held in a special prison because they left their proper domain. That apparently means that God has allowed demons a certain degree of latitude in their interactions with humans, but it was to be within limits. What these fallen angels did crossed lines and got them sent directly into a special region of hell that holds them even now. John MacArthur believes that this was a massive effort on the part of Satan to create half-demon humans for the purpose of bringing forth an unredeemable race of people. He might be onto something there. Whatever the case may be, it's clear that the people of that age were welcoming the presence of demons into their lives in a very real way, rather than calling on the name of the Lord. Evil had so thoroughly penetrated the heart of man and had become so utterly systemic in this world that God had no choice but to destroy mankind and begin over. We're also told in Genesis 6 that the Holy Spirit was striving with man at that time. He was convicting men of their sinful ways. He was attempting to keep them from being enmeshed with this evil spirit and to lead them into higher godlier thoughts. Surely the 120 years that it took Noah to construct the ark were meant to be a final opportunity for mankind to repent of their sin. He was a preacher of righteousness and he undoubtedly did everything in his power to convince men to repent of their wicked ways. But they would have none of it. They rejected every single one of God's loving overtures. Eventually, when the cup of their iniquity was full, when every opportunity for repentance had been exhausted, God decided that enough was enough and the entire world of mankind was sent into a Christless eternity, save four men and four women. 
God would start over and create a godly line of men and women who would live in humble submission to his authority. Or would they? For even in this primordial family, a seed of rebellion lay dormant, awaiting its opportunity to spring to life. Okay, so in that last segment, Pastor Steve was showing us that the spiritual climate on the earth before the flood was horribly degraded, and he pointed us to some of the descriptions that the Bible gives for why it was so evil. Two of them were that, first, every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually, and second, that the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. And It was those two descriptions that really caught my attention, because there's another passage that describes a very similar thing. Maybe you've read Romans 1, and sometimes this is called the spiral of degradation, well, at least starting in verse 18. And what we see in this passage is a group of people who are going through a spiritual process that ends in total corruption. And it's too long for me to read here, but... What I see in this passage is that anyone can go through the same kind of corrupting spiritual process that would make them the kind of person that God destroyed in the flood. So any one of us could become someone that God would say, I'm grieved that I made them. Now, personally, I believe that viewing pornography is a fast track to becoming that kind of person. And so I brought Ken Larkin in to look at this process in a little bit of detail. So, Ken, you have been counseling with us for 14 years. You've watched men come into our program who are way down that spiral, but you've also seen men come up and out of it. So... First of all, could you just describe briefly the steps down that spiral of degradation for us? Sure. There's basically seven steps. The first step is basically a failure to reverence and give gratitude to God. In Mm -hmm. verse 21, it says, they did not honor or glorify him as God or give thanks. And then the second step is the darkening heart. Uh, Verses 22 and 23, it says, professing to be wise— they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Mm. And you can see where this is going here with the whole idea of pornography and sexual yeah. sin. The third step is the suppression of truth. Uh, verse 25 says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Mm. And then as you're going down that spiral, the next step would be given over to the lust of the heart. Verse 24 says... Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. And then a further given over, step five is given over again. And it says in verse 26, God gave them over to degrading passions. And then further on down the spiral in number six is the depraved mind. Hmm. And again, it says in verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Hmm. And then it culminates, like you mentioned in in the book of Genesis, with filled with all unrighteousness. Verse 29 to the end of the chapter says being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, and just this whole category of just giving over to a lifestyle of fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the sinful mind. Okay, yeah. So if somebody were to read through that portion of Scripture, they would definitely be able to see that there were definite steps along this pathway. This was not just one quick jump all the way to filled with all manner of unrighteousness. This was a process. And that's what we want to help people realize is that if they are in that process, that they're headed somewhere, but also that they can come out of that. So here's what I want to do. I'd like to maybe flesh these steps out and give a little bit of what it might look like in a practical way so that somebody could say, whoa, yeah, I identify with that, or I've been there, or I can see where I'm headed. Let's start with the first step down. They did not glorify God as God or give him thanks. What 
What does that mean exactly, and what does it look like when somebody is taking that step? Well, it's interesting because the Scripture talks about, first, they did know God, so it's not ignorance. Mm. This is someone that has the knowledge of God, who's come into a relationship with God, and they lose that reverential or worshipful fear and love of God. Mm. You could say it's like someone left their first love. So what happens is, first of all, they begin to lose that, I don't know how else to say it, but just an adoration or an awe of God, where God is literally the center of their universe, where he should be, where God is everything, where God is God. And what happens is slowly that begins to be replaced by self. So you look at someone that may have been broken over their sin, they should be, coming to true repentance, and now all of a sudden that self-life, that pride starts rising up again. And they become bigger in their own estimation and God becomes smaller. And then what happens is since they're not deriving their ultimate fulfillment from that relationship with God, this sense of discontent mm. or dissatisfaction starts welling up in their hearts, and then they become ungrateful. And then since they're not seeking the intimacy with God, they might be doing all the outward things they did before, but something inside their heart has changed, their direction, and now they're turning away from God and seeking fulfillment or satisfaction outside of Him, and they become disgruntled that somehow God's holding out on me and not giving me what I want. And it's a very evil disposition. Yeah, and it's also very subtle. This doesn't even necessarily mean that a person has gone into like some gross sin. This is just, like you said, it's a change of direction in the heart. So that's, I think, really important for people to understand is that the danger zone is not, oh, I am looking at pornography once a week, or oh my goodness, I've started to do A, B, or C sin. It's like, way back, right? you know, where the attitude of the heart changed toward God. The second step is the darkening heart, and what's happening here? How do you see this taking place? Well, again, since it's a change in direction now, they're moving away from the light and toward darkness. I've heard it said morality is not a line, it's a direction. Mm. So now they're moving in an opposite direction, and what happens is since they're not satisfied with God, they're going to seek satisfaction in their idol. And in a lot of people's case, it would be sexual sin, which this scripture really brings out in this uh, Romans chapter 1. So what's happening is, okay, they might be involved in a certain behavior, and it's maybe euphoric, or they really get something out of it, like almost like a drug addict. The first hit you know, is amazing, and then afterwards, they're always seeking that high again. Mm. So what happens is, eventually, they want to continue this behavior maybe more frequently. They were given over once a week, now they're daily just given over to yep. their sin. And it's the law of diminishing returns. It's not going to satisfy. It's not going to be like the initial high or euphoric experience. So they're going to want to continue to do it more frequently. And then what happens is you cross lines and begin to go into more depraved behavior, where once it might have just been looking at porn, now someone's acting out with other people or getting involved in behavior. Maybe in the past, they would never even dream of crossing these lines. Mm -hmm. But they're starting to go down in that direction, away from God and toward their sin. Okay. Yeah, and when it says the darkening heart, I think probably the thing to remember is that it's not just a change in behavior or a progression in behavior. Something's really happening on the inside. What other kinds of things do you see like taking place in the internal world, maybe? Well, one of the things is their value system begins to change. What they would have considered evil before no longer looks that bad. As a matter of fact, it looks good. It looks enticing. It looks like something desirable, even though it might be something God hates and that's inherently evil. And one of the aspects of sin, which we'll get into more as we go down this spiral, is one of the deceptions is you can just quit this sin and everything's okay. I'm not doing this anymore. But you're actually being corrupted on the inside. Right. Your heart's becoming more dark, more polluted, more fouled and tainted by that sin. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't just stop when the behavior stops, mm -hmm. if someone is able to stop you know, what they're doing yeah, yeah. and want change. Right. Yeah, and I think probably for a lot of people, maybe if they, if they could connect some of the, the sins that they've been in with things like depression or paranoia or irritability, you know, they, that is a direct result of giving in to those sins. Like, so, like something is happening on the inside, like you were saying. It's becoming more polluted and defiled. And sometimes I think people don't, 
they don't make that connection and they're like, man, why I feel so depressed? <laughs> well, you've opened the door to all kinds of, of sin. You're going to feel some of these additional um, sinful attitudes. Can we talk about the third step, suppression of truth? What are some ways that people actually do this and suppress the truth? Well, it's interesting. I just want to go back to the, to the Scripture. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. So it's the idea that it's not just the idea that you're suppressing the truth, but you're actually replacing it with a lie. Mm. And that's important. Okay. A, an important distinction there. And one of the lies, I, I've counseled for years, as you mentioned, it's unbelievable. This is not like out of the ordinary. Most men, I would say, they come here have an exaggerated sense of their own spirituality. So they might say things like, you know, I'm walking with God, I have this one little problem or whatever. Their whole inside world is filled with, you know, lust and perversion, and they've deluded themselves into thinking that they've compartmentalized this one aspect, not realizing their whole heart, their whole character is moving in a certain direction, and this is just the fruit of a life that's not right with God. So just the idea that they're suppressing the truth, maybe the Holy Spirit has been dealing with them for years on this, and they've silenced his voice and somehow justified or minimized their sin, that this is okay, that it's not a big deal, that everyone struggles. You know, Meanwhile, mm-hmm. it's just enabling them to continue down the spiral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think of some of the ways maybe that guys or anyone suppresses the truth. We when we feel guilt or shame, yeah, like you said, we tell ourselves, well, everybody does this, or I'm just human, God doesn't expect me to be perfect, or maybe we find someone who will coddle us in our sin. I remember one time when somebody confronted me in my sin and said, you're not a victim. You know, I had been telling myself I was a victim, and it was that truth that really cut through, and I realized, wow, that's been enabling me to just continue on and in a certain sin, man, there's just so many ways. We can distract ourselves, and we can just throw ourselves into like a hobby or the pursuit of pleasure, or I think some people, like when they realize that I'm addicted to this one thing, maybe they exchange one addiction for the other, you know, suddenly they're all into weightlifting or self-improvement. I got to go back to school. It's like, man, there's just so many ways to keep from just acknowledging my life is a wreck. Yeah, and I would say another thing is a lot of people come to us from ministry backgrounds. So somehow I'm working for the Lord and they can somehow justify, well, I'm not doing good in this area, but look at all the good I'm doing, you know, and somehow justify this area because other areas seem to be right or or I'm I'm helping other people, whatever it might be. But it's it's not true. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just because you're doing right doesn't mean it's okay if you know your sinful behavior is not okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, steps four, five, and six all have this common denominator: given over, um, given over to the lusts of the heart, then given over to degrading passions, and then given over to a depraved mind. So you can definitely see that a person is being progressively given over and further on and further down. So first of all, though, I'd like for you to talk about this term given over, because I don't think it's really clear just from the outset what that even means. What does that mean in the Bible when God gives someone over? Well, it's interesting. The word paradidomai in the Greek has the idea of handing one over to an enemy. Okay. But in the case of this spiral, it's not so much that God just hands someone over, but it's more of the idea that he withdraws his protection. So now you're undefended, and you have an enemy out there that wants to kill, steal, and destroy, mm-hmm. and you're kind of defenseless. Yeah. And then with that, coupled with that, is we don't realize how much God's grace keeps us from sin. Mm. So the other aspect is not so much he's just throwing you to the wolves, but he's withdrawing his restraining influence, the grace of God that keeps you from sin. You've rejected it so often that God just slowly withdraws his presence, and now you're left to fend for yourself. And you've already given yourself over to this particular sin, whatever it might be, shown you've won it, so God gives you what you want, and you're helpless in Mm -hmm. yourself to defend it. 
Yeah, it reminds me of that scripture in the Old Testament somewhere. I think it says something like, in the matter of the Babylonian envoys, God left Hezekiah to himself that he might see what was in his own heart. I think that's kind of what you're describing, right? Yeah, for sure. So then, can you describe these three steps down? What would it look like to be given over to, first, the lusts of our heart, and then to degrading passions, and then to a depraved mind? Yeah, it's interesting. The idea of giving over to the lust of the heart, I like the scripture in James uh, 1.14, where it talks about each man is tempted and carried away or enticed by his own lust. So it's the idea of, um, we've seen a lot played out where someone might be, okay, you start out in a certain behavior and there's still some sense of morality or there's some semblance of you know what's right and what's wrong. But what happens is you're drawn away of your own lust, you're enticed. It's like you're carried away almost like to an alternate state where you're in a trance and morality flies out the window. Now yeah. you're given over to that to the point where what you would not even conceive maybe you were capable of doing right. in this altered state, it's okay. Right. You know, and it could be anything. Maybe someone would cross the line where they were typically just acting out with the opposite sex. Now in this lust, you don't care how you fulfill your lust. Now all of a sudden they're dabbling with same sex attraction or homosexuality or acting out with other men or women, whatever the case may be. Mm. And you just start crossing lines and God's giving you over to that. You're basically, your whole life is starting to revolve around this sin and again, going back to the law of diminishing returns, after a while, you're so depraved or you begin to be so depraved that morality doesn't matter, consequences don't matter in this altered state, whether you're hurting other people, your family, your children, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is how am I going to fulfill my lust? And you're totally given mm -hmm. over to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so then you kind of see that if you're given over to the lust of the heart, and you don't repent, that's just going to perpetuate this cycle where then now we're going further and we're being given over to degrading passions, which you kind of explained a little bit. Is there anything else you would say about that degrading passions? Yeah, going back to the restraint of God, in this sense, okay, maybe given over to your lust, maybe in that step they weren't crossing lines with acting out with whoever, wherever, whatever. But now you're given over where God's restraint is being lifted in his grace, and you're basically left to your sin. And we become a slave of what we obey. So you're becoming addicted. You're becoming enslaved to your behavior. And now you're probably crossing the lines, and you are acting out indiscriminately with other people. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter anymore. I've, mm -hmm. I've heard of men that were totally straight, where now in this altered state, they're having sex with a transvestite or something, yeah, yeah. you know, or whatever the case may be. It just gets more deviant, more, you know, sinful, dark, whatever. And God's restraint is being lifted to the point where it just doesn't matter anymore. You can just do whatever you want. And the, one of the scary things is you become less and less aware of it. Where, in other words, you don't even realize your heart's becoming darker because you're getting more and more deceived, more and more depraved, and yeah. you love to have it so. So you, mm. you're just given over more and more yeah. within. Yeah, when, when a person's in this, do they, I guess my question is from your experience, do you see that this also means that they just totally love the sin? Or is there something inside that's like, I hate this, I want to get out of it, but I don't know how to get out of it. You know, are they sick at the thought of what they're becoming, and they're, but they're still just being driven and given over, or what does it look like? Well, at this stage, I think there would kind of still be, in a lot of people, a love-hate relationship with their sin. They love it in the sense that it gives them pleasure, and they're gratifying their lust, but they know it's wrong, so their, their conscience is screaming at them, mm. you know, this is wrong, you know, and the Holy Spirit's trying to convict them and bring them out of this, but they've just blown through all the stop signs. So yeah, it becomes enslaving, and I noticed in my past life, for sure, you get to the point where you're still acting out, but it's almost like, what's the point anymore? It's like meaningless, but you're just powerless to stop. Okay, okay. Um, and then this, this sixth step, given over to a depraved mind. What, is, what does depraved mean? Well, it's interesting. I like the King James uh, Version. It says reprobate. Okay. And from what I understand, the Greek word has the idea of being tested and found wanting. Mm. 
Mm. So your character is being tested and you're without character. Wow. It's like worthless silver, you know, tried to refine it. There's nothing good in it or whatever. You know, there's nothing uh, inherently good in it. And you've basically shown yourself to be a man or a woman without character where you just give over to a lifestyle of sin and you don't even care anymore. Mm. And one of the problems of the depraved mind, it has the idea of your conscience being hardened. So it's not just the idea that you're given over and you love your sin. You can no longer distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. You begin losing that sensitivity where you can use uh, the analogy of the human nervous system where you hurt yourself. I can get like a paper cut and it hurts a lot. Right, just a small right. paper cut right. because my nerves are very sensitive to pain to protect me from further pain. Uh, you lose that sensitivity. You're no longer convicted over your sin. You no longer feel pain or remorse. It's like there's something in you that becomes dead inside. So it's very scary because you're, you're to the point where you're in darkness. You love the darkness and don't even realize how far down this spiral you've gone. And yeah. you can get to the point where you have people that are militant in their sin, where they exalt you know, their depravity, love their depravity, and... I don't even know how else to say it, but you actually um, celebrate it. <laughs> and, you know, you expect everyone else to join in or whatever. And then you begin to actually associate with other people that are like-minded. Their minds are also depraved. Maybe you have the same lifestyle, the same, you know, whatever, preferences as far as what, how you give over. And the Bible talks about in the end of that chapter in Romans 1, these people have come out of a knowledge of God, so they know the judgment of God. They know that he has pronounced a judgment on these sins, that people are worthy of death. But you get to the point where you might still have an idea of that, but you not only love these things now, but you now celebrate it and you mm. approve of others who do it. And I thought about something like pornography. You're actually watching someone sin and enjoying it. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what he's talking about here, mm -hmm. where you're actually given over to a lifestyle and you love the people that are like-minded and, and do and approve of what you're doing. Yeah, and, and I think then you can kind of see that if this is a progression and the last step here is filled with all unrighteousness, once you get to the point where you can't distinguish between good and evil and you're celebrating evil, then every stop has been pulled out, and it's just a matter of time before you really reach this place filled with all unrighteousness. What's happening there? Well, first of all, I would say it's a scary place to be in. You know, only God knows where you cross a line where there's no return. Yeah. But I would say this, it, it just reminded me going in a reverse step back to what you said in the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, where every intent and thought of man's heart was only evil continually. This is to the point where you're totally given over in your heart and your mind to sin, where there is no, like you said, the stop signs are gone. Your conscience isn't convicting you. You don't have any uh, qualms about it. You're just totally given over to sin. And, mm -hmm. and I think the scary part there is it's progressive, obviously, but you get to the point where you don't even realize it. Yeah that you're totally depraved and you don't even realize it because you've exchanged the truth again for a lie. You've embraced the lie, so you actually believe that lie, mm -hmm. that this is the ultimate fulfillment. There's nothing wrong with it. Even if you do believe in God at some level, at least you know in your mind, well, God made me this way. It can't be wrong if it feels so right. You can justify yeah. it in a million ways, yeah, yeah. but you get to the point where you can't even distinguish good or evil, and you actually love the evil and you've embraced mm -hmm. it, and your whole life is centered around it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's probably a good wake-up call for people that dabbling in sin, um, tolerating sin, justifying sin is really... You're tempting God to let you go further on down this spiral, and there are very clear times where he says enough is enough, and I'm going to let you have what you want, and we don't want to find where that line is, like you were saying, no matter where we are in this um, process of sin. I, I want to end with a, just a little bit of uh, hope, I guess, or maybe just a way of, of sharing that, again, that we're not victims, you know, right. we can come up and out no matter where we, where we find ourselves. 
some people who are listening may be pretty far down this. They maybe know what it's like to be given over to the lust of the heart or given over to degrading passions. What would you say as a counselor to somebody who's in that condition? Well, I would say you're a perfect candidate for salvation because really that spiral describes every single human being. We all might have been at different levels down that spiral, but we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the hope is Jesus came to save us from our sins. Mm -hmm. He came to set the captives free. You know, He came to deliver us. And, and Jesus can do that for anyone that is willing to cry out to him and ask mm -hmm. for help. I like that scripture specifically when you're dealing with the corruption of sin in uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 25. He says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Mm. So God can cleanse us. God can remake us inside. God can give us a pure heart. And then he even goes on and says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll take yeah. out the heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you. So there's hope for anyone in that sense that I would say, if you care, you haven't gone too far. That might be a blanket statement, but the reality is if you've really gone down that spiral, you're not anywhere near walking with God, but you see people like that out in the world and they don't even care. Either they think they're right with God, they're in the church, and they might say that God condones this behavior, but they're totally deceived, or they're out of the church and they're fine with that. So if someone's crying out to God, first of all, I believe God put that cry in their heart because God is the one that pursues us. So the hope is Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's willing to leave the 99 to mm -hmm. find that one and mm -hmm. bring them back to himself through repentance and faith in Christ. Okay, yeah, it sounds like one of the... One of the cruxes of this whole issue is how bad do you want to be free? You know, if, if you're willing to just tolerate this and just kind of let it be in your life, then the fact is you're not just standing still. You are moving further and further away from God, and you don't know when he might just give you over to something. But if you really care and if you're really crying out and you are willing to get to the place where you're not going to tolerate this anymore, you're going to know, or you're going to fight for freedom until you get it. Exactly. Then the Lord, yeah, he has a very similar process, but just going the other direction. And that's what we need to, to realize is that, like you said, he knows how to get us up and out of that spiral. So, okay, that's great. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Nate. I'm not sure how many of you in our audience realize this, but every single one of our male staff members have been through the residential program. Meaning, we all know from firsthand experience what it's like to go down this spiral of degradation, and we all know the power of Jesus Christ to bring us up and out. So I asked three of our staff members to come in and share from their own lives how that spiral of degradation worked inside of them, and also to testify about what it was like to be redeemed. Now, because of time constraints, we can only play a clip from that conversation, but you can hear the rest of it wherever you get your podcasts or at purelifeministries.org slash podcast. Just look for the bonus content from episode 493. Uh, yeah, I wanted to start off this kind of discussion or just kind of this conversation by reflecting on, I know we all watched Pastor Steve's video. For me, a couple words stand out when he talked about corruption and being corrupt and, and just the complete evil that was present before the flood and just kind of thinking about where we are today mm. in today's world and we're headed in that direction very, very quickly with um, the sexuality issues that definitely uh, violence increasing, not just wars between countries, but just people killing each other. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, wow, we are, we're right on the precipice of where we were right before the flood. Yeah. And, but we know that the Lord's not going to use a flood again. He promised that. So it's going to be Praise the Lord, his coming, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's coming. He's going to yeah. come again. Yeah. And so we have something to look forward to. I think the other thing that um, stood out to me um, was, okay, how are we getting there? How are we getting back to that corrupt corruption? Mm -hmm. And it is what Brother Ken talked about, 
in his segment about the spiral degradation. Yeah. So I think that's what we want to focus on today mm-hmm. is just kind of talking about our personal testimonies about the different aspects, the different kind of steps down into that spiral of degradation, because we've all experienced it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so uh, let's kind of discuss that and maybe share some personal testimonies as we go through each step. So the first aspect is is that, um, well, I'm going to look over here, sorry, Um, about losing that reverential and worshipful spirit. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, going back to like what you were talking about at the beginning with the flood and then today's world, I think it's easy to kind of disconnect the two thinking, well, that was back then. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. But if you really like look at our world, you start seeing like, oh, we're pretty much in the same spirit, same mindset. And then like making it personal, you know, you look at this first point, like losing a reverential worshipful spirit you obviously the people in the flood didn't have that mindset and then you start looking you know you break it down to our personal lives you're like oh yeah like that's that's where i that's where i was that's where i could Mm be yeah yeah and i think for me what where i saw this start to go away was when i started to think my way of life was better than what god was choosing for me Hmm. and i kind of saw this play out because when i first came to the lord i think i had a, a genuine walk with the lord i was taking everything to him by prayer. My heart towards sin was like was changing. I was having a heart for people. I was seeing pride in my life. Like I was seeing some heart issues and Lord was doing something. But specifically, I saw it when there was this girl I was interested in and I was praying about it. And I remember the Lord just made it really clear that he didn't want me to date her. And I was kind of tired of hearing no's in this area. So I thought, you know, maybe the Lord doesn't know better than I do. And I made the decision, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date her anyway. And we didn't get into like blatant sin. But at that point, I guess I stopped viewing God as how he really is, like adoring him and being grateful for him. And I thought like I knew better. So I almost like lifted myself above the Lord. And so it was just, it was a matter of time where that grateful heart, that reverential heart just started to like drift away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like you take your eyes off the Lord. You know, it's just yeah. like when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, and we say this all the time in the ministry or in services and stuff, it's like when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, it's like you see him for who he is and you mm-hmm. can't help. Yeah. And then you see who you are yeah. and you can't help but praise him, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You can't help but give him glory. But then when you take your eyes off of him, and then naturally it just goes to who? It goes to us yeah. Yeah. and glorifying us. And then our flesh just stinking rises up. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 We kind of quickly. Yeah. It can happen very quickly. Yeah. We yeah. get out of our, our rightful place. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because the description of the time before the flood, I mean, Satan was obviously working, but this spiral of degradation just is very natural for all of us. And he can find that way in pretty easily. Like, what you guys were saying about starting off on a good trajectory, same thing. Like there were some good years, everything seemed like it was going okay, but then somehow, you know, it's so easy to turn off of that path. I, mm-hmm. I think for me, it was a kind of a combination of things just like, I mean, idolatry, obviously mm-hmm. in different areas, finding things that, you know, like what you were saying with dating for me, just, just selfishness, just focusing on doing what I wanted to do, um, everybody's personality is different. I tend to be more of a perfectionist. You know, I was really into music, things that were very disciplined, which was good, but it also, you know, it fed into some of that selfishness. It's like all my time, like I wasn't playing sports. I wasn't with a group. Mm-hmm. I was off by myself doing, you know, practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as well, just that mindset was getting me away from the Lord because it was about achievement. It was about, like, mm. I've got to be the best. Oh, wow. And it's like, that's not who God is necessarily. For me, it was easy to start feeling the desire to have to be better and better and better. Mm. And I just wasn't seeing the Lord's grace, I don't think. So it was easy for me with the worship to forget about that because I was constantly having to improve. I was constantly... Mm. So I wasn't focused on Him or His goodness. I was focused on myself and what I had to do. Wow. And whatever love I had for the Lord kind of shriveled up. Wow, that's it's crazy. Like even something as good as like participating in music and performing in that way, 
how we just blow them out of proportion and now our eyes aren't really worshiping the Lord. We're worshiping something else or somebody else. Yeah, I mean, Exodus 20, verse 3 says, Thou shalt not have any other gods before mm. me, right, before mm-hmm. the Lord. And that's what happens. We take our eyes again off of the Lord and onto, like you, you said, all these things that potentially are good, but Satan will use it to get our eyes, keep our eyes off of him, mm-hmm. right? And then onto these idols, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whatever yeah. it happens to be, relationships. Mm-hmm. The other thing, right, Romans 1, 25 says we worship creation rather than the yeah. creator. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. okay, we were meant to be worship the creator, but then we start worshiping things in creation, right? And so it is just biblically, yeah, it's like... Duh, it's going to happen if we take our eyes off of Jesus and worshiping him. We're just going to naturally worship something else. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's good. How about the second point, um, maybe sharing a personal testimony about that darkening heart, mm-hmm. that next level down? you have any yeah. thought? Yeah, do you? Yeah, yeah. So I see this whole spiral degradation play through when I was in Bible school. So before I got into Bible school is when I got into this relationship with this girl and I got back in the throne of my heart. After that, again, like you were talking about, was in ministry, doing well, but I was on the throne now, so it all became about me. And there wasn't sexual sin even in my life right at that moment, but slowly started creeping back in. And I started to see it happening when I was in Bible school. Yeah, there was this, another again, another relationship. The first one ended and There's another relationship that I was interested in, and we weren't supposed to date and whatnot, but I wanted what I wanted, and I wasn't worshiping the Lord. I was worshiping myself at this point, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, yeah, it started off with, okay, I'm going to just start texting this person. Okay, well, now I'm going to let, you know, thoughts of fantasy and lust kind of entertain. Well, now I'm going to start hanging out with this person, all hiding it, you know, behind behind the backs of my pastors and other people. And then it just kind of grew into, you know, more sin, more sin. And I started seeing, like, I'm crossing lines that, you know, a a few years before I would have been like, oh, I'll never go that far. Started acting out more, less conviction, you know, less thoughts of even (laughs) coming to the light about it. Yeah, and just seeing, like, it was kind of getting crazy. I started even, like, I could tell that there was a darkness coming within my heart, especially after giving into pornography. I don't know if you guys experienced that, but I thought it was like so tangible that other people could tell. I started getting paranoid. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was like, that was when I started to realize, okay, something on the inside's not right. Did you guys have a similar experience? Well, kind of what you were saying with just the choice that you made initially, uh, I guess a couple times to date people and you knew that for you, that was a line you were crossing deliberately of saying, no, this is what I want. Yeah. Um, it's funny how those choices can be so profound and can really, you know, cement things in mm-hmm. that direction. I remember the first time I really went back into pornography. I'd seen it a lot younger, like even mm. like preteen years, uh, and got exposed. And so then I was like too afraid to go back to it. But I remember when I like chose to first go back to it, that that really took something to the next level. Like I was already in a selfish flow of life. And I think that was the other thing that kind of that only exponentially increased was just the selfish lifestyle of, you know, that verse that says every imagination was only evil continually. Mm, For me, it became almost every action I took was only selfish. Like, you know, not including other people, not thinking of others, just only just going through every day what do I want to do? Like, and so that, for me, when you talk about the darkness that came that is darkness, just to get to the place where looking back now I can see, like, my life was totally selfish. And this was even before it got really, like, bad in yeah. the sense of all the outward sin. But, like, the foundation was definitely already there. Wow. Yeah. Do you guys feel like like you knew that you were being selfish, though? You know what I'm saying? Like, we can in retrospect go, wow, I was really selfish. But in <laughs> yeah. the moment, yeah. do you say, oh, I'm being, like, this is all for me. You know, I'm being totally, we think we were right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were in delusion or believing the lies of the enemy and acting on those lies. Yeah. But it was like, I didn't think I was being selfish. Yeah. You know, I was just doing life. And, yeah. you know, I was thought what I was doing 
was, you know, it was pleasing to me, so I was going to do it. Yeah. I was ungrateful mm-hmm. uh, for what the Lord had done for me. I'd been out of church for 20 years and came back and then was back in church and then came on staff and work got started getting really stressful. And when it started getting really stressful, then um, that ingratitude turns to judgment mm-hmm. and criticism towards my pastor. Mm. Yeah. And in all in this whole time frame of coming back to the Lord, I was in Christian counseling, integrated mm. counseling, and um, he was a Christian. He professed to be a Christian, but the counseling was actually not faith-based at all. Mm. It wasn't biblically based. So my heart's getting darker, right? This increase in judgment and criticism. Yeah. Then couple that with this counseling who said I was a victim, um, you know, molestation, you know, absent parents, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So when I got to the point where I was kind of on the edge of like, okay, which way am I going to go? Like, am I going to turn back to the Lord or yeah. go deeper into the darkness of my heart? You know, I felt justified. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you could go out and sin and you're still the victim. And I'm like, wow, cool. You know, it was kind of <laughs> like, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, not outwardly, but right. somewhere in my heart, it was like, okay, I could go out and sin, mm-hmm. you know, and have a carte blanche. I could do whatever I want. Right. right. But it's just like that selfishness, yeah. that desire to please self, not even thinking about, okay, yeah, that ruins my testimony. Mm-hmm. And it's how can I preach or be involved in church at all or lead mm-hmm. anything? I mean, no thought of that. It was yeah. just like my heart was blackening like every day, yeah. you know? And it, and at first, well, we'll talk about that um, next, but I guess we could go right into the suppression of truth, mm-hmm. right? Do you have anything else on the darkening heart? Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of interesting because I know the darkening heart and kind of suppressing the truth, it kind of seems like they overlap a yeah. little bit. Oh. But like you were saying, you know, the spirit of the world is kind of telling, like justifying you in your sin. So when you're already not worshiping the Lord, the next thing you go to is just what the world's talking yeah. about. And I saw that for myself, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when I first came to the Lord, I was seeing heart issues, was seeing pride, was seeing selfishness. But as I kind of kept crossing lines, that sight of my need, that sight of my heart mm-hmm. started to grow dim yep. and more dim. Yep. So much so by the time I got to the program, like I, di- I couldn't even see pride in my life. Hmm. Like I was literally blind to it. You were very proud. No. You were very proud. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can rem- you <laughs> yeah, remember? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but... um. I, I get what you're saying and just feeling like you're justified. You're, the world's kind of just justifying, you know, it's tough. Go do you, you know, and you're living your own life, live your best life now kind of mentality. Right, right. And so when you're stressed, it's like, what do you do? Oh, yeah, go feed your flesh. Yeah. yeah. And we wouldn't maybe call it like, oh, I'm feeding my flesh, but it's just I'm doing something like you were saying, Brooks, like being selfish. I'm just thinking about how this affects me. And you're thinking, yeah, that's fine, but it's like, Where's the Lord and all that, you know? Yeah. That's how it was that's how it kind of played out of my life. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it goes back to kind of what Pastor Steve was talking about, right? It's just like, man, corruption. Mm. Right? Our hearts were being corrupted. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, you know, further down you get, it's like, you know, it's just evil. Like you were you the one that said evil, continually evil all the time? Yeah. Is, that's where we're headed, right? Mm-hmm. And so like that suppression of truth for me, yeah. I remember driving around um, looking for, because that's what I would do. I would drive around, I would cruise mm. um, certain areas, and there would be adult bookstores, and I'd go in and out of those and whatever. But I remember the the truth of the Holy Spirit convicting me, and I would be shaking. Yeah. yeah. Literally shaking. <laughs> My hands would be on the wheel, and I'd be shaking. Same. And, and wow. I'd be going... And I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I would even say, I know it's you, Holy Spirit. I know that this is wrong. Uh, you know, wow. several times, I mean, not just once, but I mean, mm-hmm. multiple times, you know, the Holy Spirit's trying to convict me, get out of here, you know, this is wrong, uh, repent or whatever. But I wanted what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I suppressed it and I would literally, I would hold on to the steering wheel really tight yeah. and I go, I want this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would actually say that. Yeah. I want this. Or, and I've said this before, I would pray to Satan. Just 
that's where my mind got. It was so yeah. dark, so black that even when the truth came in, I suppressed it and I wouldn't allow the Holy Spirit's conviction to come yeah. in. And here's what happened afterwards is, you know, after there there came points where the accuser of the brethren comes in, mm-hmm. right? So he leads you, you know, he lies to you and say, this is going to be the best ever. And then you, afterwards you feel totally empty yeah. and dissatisfied. And then he goes, see you, loser. Mm-hmm. You're you're never going to be worth anything. This is a, you might as well just kill yourself. And that's mm. certainly, he he's told me that lie yeah. a lot, mm-hmm. you know, that's to the goal. point where I was like, you know, definitely contemplating how to do it. Wow. Yeah. 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 We do violence to ourselves, you know, in those kinds of things. And I mean, the Lord's so merciful, but like some of that stuff like stays with you, the effects of that, just yeah. searing your conscience so yeah. much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I know <laughs> when I started looking back, I was just seeing how many times the Holy Spirit was giving me opportunities to turn before I crossed another line into sin, I remember miraculously somehow some sin getting exposed and my pastor confronting me on it. And again, suppressing the truth, he asked me point blank and I lied to him. Mm. And then right after that was when I started acting out with somebody else. And I remember staff meetings and, you know, the pastor saying, I know there's somebody that's struggling with sexual sin. You need to like come to the light about it. And I knew like, that's me. And what I would do was I didn't want to blatantly reject the truth but what i would do is i would just wait and not respond and just if i just wait long enough this conviction will pass away and then i'll just keep going doing what i wanted to do and that happened so many times so many kairos moments where i had one like what you were saying i was driving and the spirit was finally convicted well he was already convicted me i finally was open to it and I knew, okay, I'm going to confess my sin this afternoon. Like I'm going to bring I'm going to bring it all to the light. And I was shaking, but then I'm driving home and actually, you know, going to have to confess and I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I would just wait. And that was more suppression of the truth than I was in ministry, some justifying um just more of that suppressing. I don't know, Brooks, did you what was well, your experience like? It, I mean, really just avoiding God, like you mm, said, mm. and doing it in an atmosphere of that we all were in, which was the church, you know? Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, I, even going to a Christian college, I was still getting deeper at that point. But I think the thing is it escalates, yeah. you know? And for me, that's yeah. where eventually, unless you're going to go insane, you have to like, it has to be, you have to step it up. Yeah. Now yeah. it's like, okay, I'm not just going to sin and try to like not think about it. I'm going to justify that it, this is, a, I can live this way. And then it's like, well, do I even really want to be a Christian? Or if I do, is there a way that I, you know, for me, homosexuality, that was right around the time it was about to be uh, coming to the Supreme Court, you know, nationwide. So a lot of Christians, you know, I think that were weak, were starting to turn and say, okay, yeah, this is acceptable. Writing books, you know, doing YouTube videos about how this is okay for you to live this way. So, and that's, it had to go there eventually for me if I was going to feel, you know, good about what I was doing. So that was almost like the next point, which is talking about being given over to the lust of your heart, right? I mean, it basically, it just took you there, Yeah. right? I mean, you can you share a little bit about what happened to you at that point? Well, I, you know, I, I, there's a quote in one of Pastor Steve's books about, you know, he won the worst of all victories, the victory over his own conscience, you know, and it's like, that's what happened totally was able to do it and not feel anything about it. And so for like a couple of years, it was like in my warped world, it was like I was in heaven, you know, because I was just could do it without, but there was the totally the Lord protecting me because you know, I mean, I could easily have been murdered. I could have been, you know, something I ended up doing, I could have gotten arrested, Mm -hmm. you know, but why was he allowing me to do that? I don't fully understand, but there was definitely no conscience there for like two years. Didn't you end up in a relationship as well? Yep. Yeah, I met, I mean, I've been a couple short-lived things, and I guess in the gay community, a lot of these relationships are not, you know, it's like, wow, I was with them for six months. Wow, that was a long time. Right. But it did get pretty deep, like beyond just the sin, like thinking about a future, thinking about, and and yeah, that was where I kind of had to take a hard look at where I was going. But yeah, that was what I wanted. I wanted to justify it. I mm-hmm. wanted to see that I could do this and not just get what I wanted, but also feel like 
I'm living a life I can be proud of living, you know, and that's having to fight against every merciful thing that God ever did in my life to try to put the truth in there, you know, just trying to throw it all away as quick as I could. I think I've mentioned this already, but these shows are loosely based on Steve Gallagher's book, Intoxicated with Babylon, The Seduction of God's People in the Last Days. I think that this is one of the most vital resources that we have to offer. So if you've enjoyed the content of the first couple of these shows, please check this book out. It's available at store.purelifeministries.org. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.